welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the horror, science fiction, and fantasy genre. And I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we continue our coverage of Friday the 13th, the TV series, or Friday's Curse, as it's known in some other parts of the world, with Vanity Mirror, which is episode 15, and Mr. Seneca has the episode synopsis for us. Vanity's Mirror, originally aired February 29, 1988. A girl finds a compact mirror that has the power to make others adore her and uses the cursed object to seek revenge against her sister. Which oh, doesn't oh, make oh. almost any sense at all as we get into our synopsis that her, her because her sister was actually, actually a pretty nice person the entire time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to point out that one of the writers for this episode, this is the only credit I can find for this person in the known galaxy named Ira Levant. That's it. One writing credit in one scripted episode of a TV series. Nothing else on IMDb. Now, IMDb is not always updated, but that's all I could find for this person as well. Kind of unusual. Most of the writers for the show have had, like, multiple television credits. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we were talking before we started filming that this is the one episode that both of us saw pretty much uh, early stage life, I would say. I don't know if we saw it the original run or just uh, early in syndication, but uh, it definitely sticks in your mind. I saw it in early syndication. Um, I'd like to point out that the director of the episode, um, who uh, as of today is still with us, if IMDb isn't updated, born in 1933, um, so he, he'd been around for a while, had directed 27 episodes of R.L. Stein's Goosebumps after this. Ooh. Yeah, 27 episodes, which for television is kind of a lot, but he directed 10 episodes of Friday the 13th. Uh, he directed The Inheritance, The Scarecrow, and Vanity's Mirror as of now, but he directed other episodes we'll get to eventually. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I think we've mentioned him before, but if not, I just thought I'd give him a great plug again. Also directed eight episodes of War of the Worlds, which I hope to be our first science fiction show eventually. 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 <laughs> uh, ran for two seasons. Fantastic show. Uh, it, it's it's something to behold if you've never seen War of the Worlds, the TV series. <laughs> um, yeah. Definitely influenced by the 80s horror tropes uh, more than the science fiction that it's actually based on. Uh, well, you know, yeah. it's the time. So we open up with this flower lady uh, <laughs> who's angry at the one percenters. Um, <laughs> because this this suited gentleman is always coming to her stand and buying one red carnation every day. And apparently she likes him, hates him, resentful towards him because he has no interest in her. She's kind of on the, you know... Decrepit side, her teeth are really messed up. You know, she's what you would call a street urchin if we were in uh, Victorian London. Just like our main uh, villain of the episode, they do an over job of like really uh, fuggling these uh, women up a bit, um, overemphasizing it just a bit. Uh, but. Uh, I I thought it was funny that as soon as she gets her way, uh, she dies, and the compact uh, moves off to someplace else. But uh, I'd also kind of think that a person who sells flowers or works in a floral shop, wouldn't they smell like flowers a lot, too? They, they probably don't smell bad. 
Oh, I would I would say so. Although it depends. Uh, flowers that you get from the florist have been altered so that they have less smell than you would, you know, having a, a smelling the same type of variety of flower in your garden. It's just um, something with the florist industry. The smells of the flowers have just been bred out so that when you walked into a florist shop, you wouldn't be overwhelmed by the amount of smell in the room or the amount of pollen. What's so what's funny though, I, I had to uh, I wanted to point out that um uh the this is um death by ladder, so he's struck in the head by the ladder. Yeah, yeah. She she basically takes the compact, shines the mirror at him. He instantly is like, "Oh, I never saw you until now," and uh, starts proclaiming his love for her. And she just takes him out into the back alley and tosses uh, an emergency ladder on his head and starts laughing at him. When our Scooby gang of characters go to investigate it, uh, Jack calls them paragons of virtue, uh, the homeless person, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Then we switch over to the high school where we we meet our main um, supporting cast members. Uh, one of which is uh, Zach Ward, who plays Greg Maisie, who's one of the people picking on poor Helen. Um, and yeah, Zach Ward yeah. is best known as Scott Ferguson from The Christmas Story. The Christmas Story, yeah, immediately recognizable. Uh, you know, his eyes, his face, you can immediately recognize him as the bully from A Christmas Story. And fun fact, uh, that actor actually still gets royalties from that movie to the tune of about $900 a year in Canadian dollars. And uh, he actually saves it for his mother. He just puts it away in a fund and saves it for his mom in case, you know, she needs it at some point in her life. So, you know, getting a job at age 13 and now he's, what, 47? Um, Yeah, he's a nice guy. Uh, I'm sorry, not Ferguson. Scott Farkas. And uh, this is also a former guest of the Dr. Chris Radio Horror Show over the last 11 years. Zach came on in 2012. Oh, just before nice. He, just before I got to meet him at Rock and Shock. And he also plays uh, Bobby Davis, Mark's brother, in Freddy vs. Jason. So he actually kind of returned to the Friday the 13th franchise in another universe. Ah, full circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, he did uh, 54 episodes of the TV series Titus, which was on Fox, uh, based on the comedian uh, Titus. And mm-hmm. um, do, 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 do. he was recently in Rise of the Tomb Raider as Constantine, who was the villain, um, and uh, was on American Horror Story a couple years ago. Um, other people might remember him as uh, Sergeant Donnelly in uh, uh, the first Transformer movie. He was part of the uh, group that were trying to escape the, uh, the military base after Blackout destroyed it, and they were being chased to the desert by Scorpinox. He's one of the first people to die. In fact, he gets impaled through the chest, through the back, out through the chest by Scorpinox Stinger uh, painfully. Uh, we had a long discussion about the entire process of how he was impaled and then thrown through, thrown across the desert by Scorpinox Stinger in the movie when he came on the show. It was, it, that was the main focus of like his horrendous <laughs> uh, death by a Decepticon. <laughs> oh man, why do you have to bring up the Transformers? I try to block those movies out because the first one is still very good despite <laughs> all the others. Like you, you, you know what? You could block out two, three, four, five, and I think six is coming next year. 
Um, but the first one I still I still regard as being very good. Why? Because Steven Spielberg was heavily involved in that movie before he completely stepped out of it with the rest of them. That movie was very much an influence by like E.T., a boy and the alien that he befriends and stuff like that. Uh, but wait, it all this... looks like junk ta- junk walking. Yes, but Mr. Seneca, just wait. This summer in theaters, Bumblebee the movie, an entire no. movie focused on the, y- no. the yellow, our lovable yellow transformer, and he is going to transform into a Volkswagen, like his 1984 counterpart did. Well, at least there's that. But ugh. yeah. Now, how I, was, is that gonna, I was kind it, of forced to watch the uh, the recent one, the last night or something like that. The last night, yeah, with the uh, with Anthony uh, Hopkins that says, "Dude." Oh my god. <laughs> you gotta love the misogyny in those movies, don't you? Or the uh, the how how high up the patriarchy is with like that uh, that British woman and Mark Wahlberg calls her a stripper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it's just like. I know you guys got to make money at making these films, and you're you're Anthony Hopkins. Like you're better than this. You're better than this. A lot of people were baffled by that. They're like, "What the hell, Anthony Hopkins? You're on Westworld." I mean, every time you do something, it's like something better than you did before, and that is Westworld right now. But then you take two steps back with like Transformers Five. It was oh. because his grandchildren loved the toys or something. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we went okay. way on this yeah. thing about Transformers. Back to 13. Helen says a line when she's, like, um, accused of slightly being, uh, you know, very, like, closed, uh, not into anything, like, uh, they... The, the, the people treat her as being like very asexual because she doesn't seem to date she doesn't seem to f- go after any kind of boys and it's mainly because of probably the way she works but I love when they scream they say her uh, she says that them I don't dream about guys and I wrote down I dream about girls and that should have <laughs> shocked everybody um, <laughs> well you know Helen McKay she is our you know villain in this episode she's the teenager that picks up the compact and uh, we find out earlier in the episode that this is the 23rd or 24th cursed object that they're going after. Even though it's episode, what, 15? 15, yeah. So there's a few that, you know, they didn't show us. Um, but, uh, you know, she deals with these cat callers, Greg and his, you know, boatload of guys. Um, and he, she just kind of brushes them off. You know, she gets this daily... But she's got this greasy hair and the cold sores on her lips and the acne. And, you know, if she would take just a little bit of time and wash her hair, at least it would have been something. Uh, But this almost seems like a purposeful, you know, trying to make oneself look as bad as possible so she doesn't get any attention from men or from people. Definitely. Depending on her, you know, preferences. Do we know where Lincoln High is? There's so many Lincoln Highs. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be named after Abraham Lincoln, of course. Yes, yes. Um, now, I, I looked it up, and there was literally too many for me to pick out one to actually talk about. Uh, they point out that the uh, when they were investigating the flower woman, uh, that she had a lot of male guests at her apartment. So what she did was, she do with the bodies? Yeah, I mean, are you are you <laughs> saying that she seduced all these men? Okay, first of all, no man is going to go home with this woman. 
um, no matter how easy she's making it. But she uses the magical compact to seduce them and to hypnotize them. She entices them back to her apartment. Shouldn't there be like a string of deaths connected to this woman, or did she not want to kill them? But doesn't the compact need you to kill them? The rules behind how the compact works, other than the fact that it hypnotizes people to fall in love with the person who owns it, is unclear. You fall yeah, in love with her, but do you have to kill them? Uh, you know, it's kind of implied that the compact desires the death, and that if they were to proclaim their love, almost like in that uh, Cuba's Arrow, if they were to proclaim their love, then she must kill them. But it's kind of as almost like a revenge killing, you know, that for all the murders that we've seen in this episode, it's all revenge based. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just, you know, you know, bag them, shag them, you know, type of thing or just uh, you shunned me at one point in time. So I'm going to hypnotize you and take you off into some place and stash your body under the floorboards they say uh to her as an insult with a face like yours you would need a leash to go to the prom <laughs> kind of reminds me of the 90s snap mama jokes your mama's so ugly she went to a haunted house and came back with a job application <laughs> uh well you know in my circle uh wearing a leash is not a bad thing <laughs> no 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 definitely not but uh not with a high school girl <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, oh, underage. No way. No. Okay. Um, now, I'm curious, though. Uh, what if she was bisexual or a lesbian? Would the compact work on women? I don't know. Because, it's kind of implied that it wouldn't. Yeah, because Roby, uh, Mickey, brings that up later on when they're looking for Ryan. Um, Jack and her mm -hmm. are at the prom trying to find out what happened to the compact. And she's worried. she asks... She, uh, Mickey asks Jack, "Will it work on me?" And he's like, "From everything I read, I don't think so. Like, it only has the power over men because a mm -hmm. compact is something only usually a woman would carry or a drag queen. Um, mm -hmm. so that makes sense that the cursed object is going to be gender based. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, it wouldn't have to be really, but." Yeah, this is the rules of the game, and this is the '80s, so they don't really talk about homosexual homosexuality that much in the '80s. Greg dies pretty badly. Oh my God, she crushes him in the trash compactor. What a way to go! Not the worst death of the two of the uh, the people that she kills. I think the worst one is the uh, the one later on. The um, uh, oh, the 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 um, saw. In yeah. taken to the head. Yeah, the uh, the other guy. In shop class. The other guy that was making fun of her, not one of the bullies so much, but one of the other characters that she uses the compact on. Yeah, he was within that uh, gaggle of uh, uh, cat callers that Greg was hanging out with, one of Greg's friends. Mm, and uh, she just kind of sits there laughing Russell. about it when Russell she gets was his name. Yes, uh, getting sprayed with blood when uh, he when he dies. She's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You wonder how she feels like she's going to get away with this. You know, she obviously was running around the campus with Greg because he was following her around like a little puppy dog. And then she takes Russell back, and there's almost, they're setting up for prom, and she's helping people set up, and suddenly she takes Russell back, and a, a saw blade to the head in shop class where there's no one supposed to be 
is pretty obvious that is a flat-out murder versus the getting caught in the trash compactor, which possibly could be um, an accident. Now, you point out that the girl who played uh, who pl- our, our villain was in the movie The Gate. Uh, I yes. Th- like I said, I don't quite remember her, but it's uh, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Uh, what's funny is the actor who plays Russell was in The Gate 2. Oh, yeah, he was in the um, the band of high schoolers. The Gate 2, The Trespassers. Oh. He plays Mo. I don't. I have never seen The Gate 2. Uh, it's about 14... Summon forth a diminutive demonic minion from the other side to do their bidding, grant their wishes. But of course, they must all pay the ultimate price. Again, I've only ever seen The Gate. I had known that there was a sequel for years, but I've never searched it out before. I do know it's out from on Blu-ray in um, from uh, Scream Factory. So if you've seen it and you love it, leave a comment below. But I know it's considered to be like the worst of the two. But uh, Moving well, on. I love the gate. It's I love of, the gate. Oh, I love the gate too, and uh, I love the gate, the original gate, not the gate two. I meant two t o o. So the gate two is by put out by Scream Factory. The gate, the first one, is put out by Arrow Video, uh, who also put out um, the Friday the Thirteenth, sorry, the uh, Hellraiser Scarlet Letter box set and the uh, House one and two. Arrow Video puts out a bunch of obscure. Uh, horror titles on uh, Blu-ray, which is a lot of fun if you're a collector of horror titles and trying to get them um, with like bonus material and not just a bare bones release film. Cool, yeah. The uh, actress uh, that plays Helen, Ingrid uh, Veninger, she plays a high schooler in the movie The Gate, and she is the one to suggest them playing light as a feather, stiff as a board with one of the main character little boys, and. Uh, ends up levi- they levitate the kid all the way until basically they're not touching him anymore he rises up until he crashes into a lighting fixture crashes down to the ground cries and runs off and and she kind of looks like oh maybe we took it a little too far when i saw this episode i was like i know i recognize her where do i recognize her from but yeah she was great in the gate um the Gate was supposed to actually be remade by uh, what is the actor's name? Alex Winter, aka uh, from Bill and Ted, also from The Lost Boys. Uh, which character was he in um, The Lost Boys? He was Mako. Oh. He was the first hmm. vampire to die in The Lost Boys when the when the Frog Brothers were in the cave, and again he was in Bill and Ted. He's Bill. All right, yeah. With Keanu Reeves. So they were gonna remake that. Yeah, Alex Winter uh, was on Radio of Horror, uh, Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror, my show, uh, and he was at Rock and Shock, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, I said he was Ted, he's Bill, Alex Winter was Bill, Ted was Keanu Reeves, and when he was on my show, he, I asked him what's the next project you work on, he said he's working on a remake of The Gate, it never came to fruition though, it's, this was a conversation we had at this point now in 2018, seven years ago. Yeah. So that's a long time to wait for uh, any type of development, so I'm assuming it's been canceled. Yeah. Uh, The Gate was one of those borderline horror movies where you could see it as a kid and it would freak you out, but it's not freaking you out enough to really consider it being a true horror movie. True. Uh, It's it's one of those, you know, dip your toes into the horror genre for kids. And uh, there's this one scene that really... Huh? Like the Monster Squad. Yes, yes. There's this one scene that freaked me the hell out as a kid, and that's where 
the uh, zombified farmer looking guy falls to the ground and then it instantly turns into these little tiny claymation minions. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I was a kid and, and that gave me nightmares. <laughs> Still love that movie though. One thing I thought was really weird was Ryan poses as a high school student, or it's implied that he is. I mean, he's just walking around the school looking for Helen, but it seems like he's trying to to act like a high school kid, or he's yeah. pretending to be... He does not, I'm sorry, look like somebody who should be in high school. No, but, you know, yeah, actors... 90210 had actors that were 30 years old trying to pretend to be high school kids. So, uh, he passes more than the other two, and I guess that was the point. You know, yeah, he could pass I... for a very uh, jockish type of guy that has his testosterone cranked up a little, and uh, a little bit taller, a little bit more masculine, you know, hunk of the school type of thing. He could pass for that, uh, and people really wouldn't question him that much, I suppose, Maybe. in this 80s 80s TV show. <laughs> also, the fall he takes after she kills um, her second victim uh, would have killed the normal person. Oh my god. It was a terrible fall. And he hits his head and there's blood all over the floor. And he bleeds a lot, too. Oh, a lot of blood. A lot of rats. Yeah, The rats just come and they start climbing all over him. I guess eating the blood, which is disgusting. So and she, then, <laughs> I have a question. What if Ryan had broken the light? Would that, if there's no light, there's nothing to reflect the uh, the mirror off of, right, to entrance the person? I suppose so, yeah. That's the rules of the game. She has to shine a reflection into his face. So um, that but, would work, technically. And, and again, there's nothing in this episode at all that I can find that her sister's a bitch. There's no reason to hate her sister. Yes, is her sister pretty and popular and, like, blonde and, and bigger and, boobs. And a really nice boyfriend. And a really nice boyfriend. Yes. Um, I mean, her sister's got it going on, like, in a lot of different ways. But uh, she definitely would be the girl in high school that would be out of my league to date. Um, but there's no reason Not for mine. Helen to hate her sister at all. They don't set up anything, other than the fact that her sister feels, like, obligated to be nice to her sister. But even that's not really coming across in any way that's like, ugh, my fucking sister, you know? It's, yeah, it's, no, her sister was a genuinely good person, I think. Yeah, and so Helen just hates her sister because she's pretty and she's blonde, and blonde's got it going on. I don't know. I don't know. I think she just is jealous because she's got this boyfriend named Scott, and Helen really wants Scott. So when she dresses up for the prom, she starts ratting her hair as if her hair wasn't messy and oily enough. She starts ratting her hair until it's like huge and wears this blue prom dress that re totally reminded me of Cindy Lauper, but without the style. Which one was that again? Helen's prom dress. No, that no, no, gaudy... no, 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 Cin Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. She, red hair kind of frizzed out. What was that, her big song? I think it was like, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Oh, okay. All right. Now I know who you're talking about. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm also surprised they didn't use any, like, 80s soundtrack stuff in this episode for the prom. Uh, maybe it was licensing issues. Maybe. Uh, one of the best depictions of a prom uh, outside of the Prom Night series in a horror movie 
in my opinion. Um, and yes, this is my opinion, so please debate it. Because <laughs> this movie is not that great. It is Once Bitten at the Prom uh, with Jim oh, Carrey yeah. and Laura Hutton. You belong to me, hands off. to me hands off they go to the prom and she's got uh the prom's happening and they and helen's got scott now and they've tied her sister up and they're hanging her sister too like let's put her let's make sure she could never bother us ever again and she's gonna kill her sister jesus christ instead of just outright killing her sister they put her in this predicament where her hands are bound they've got a noose around her neck she's on a stool with stockinged feet which of course she's going to be slipping on so that she kills herself a little bit later instead of them just killing her right right away and while she takes Scott to prom. Yeah. And and then Jack saves her at the last minute, you know, when she finally loses her balance on the stool, saves her at the last minute. So he just broke into her house in the nick of time to save her for no other reason. And uh, then they give chase and they basically find them on the rooftop. She, Helen is about ready to do this murder-suicide, plummeting to the earth off of the roof with Scott because she says that it's the only way that she'd be able to keep him. Now, this is the scene that distinctly reminds me of... um, the. This is the scene in the episode which triggers my flashback in my memory of it being the first episode I ever watched of Friday the 13th. When this show was on in 1987... In 1988 and 1989, I was seven, eight, or nine years old. There was no way I was watching this show. My there was one television in the house. I had a TV in my room, but the TV in my room was a black and white TV. My old parents' black and white TV, and the main television that actually had the cable connected to it was downstairs in the living room. There was no way I was watching this after Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh-huh. Years later, on the Sci-Fi Channel, which is something Elise mentions in her book as well. I watched it in reruns on the Sci-Fi Channel whenever I could, um, and then it was on Chillers as well, which is Chiller is a satellite TV direct uh, something like that um, mm-hmm. Dish Dish Network I think uh, channel that uh, debuted in 2007, um, and it was the greatest freaking thing ever in 2007 uh, when this was a channel that you could get if you had Dish Network because uh, it's all horror programming, all horror movies. Uh, all horror television shows from the bygone days. All horror, all the time. And they still, I believe, as last time I checked, as of like a year ago, they still aired Friday the 13th, the TV series on Chiller. So it's actually still being aired on a cable network television show. Huh. I wonder how many royalties are being passed out for it. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, <laughs> I, I kind of get it. I wish Chiller was more available on other networks, but unfortunately it's not, so. The actress that actually plays uh, Helen, uh, Ingrid uh, uh, Venninger, as I said, at least quotes her in her book um, about how much makeup that they actually put her on to make her look ugly. And uh, she says that she really loved playing the character. Quote, I didn't know how full out they were going to go with the cold sore on my mouth and the greasy hair with the barrette and all that. I love the get up for prom. I remember wanting my hair to be bigger and bigger and bigger. People kept saying that might be too much, but I said, oh no, it's not too much because she is going full on. I love playing character parts like that, unquote. She loved playing this character. I loved watching her, you know, until she plummeted to her death. So that brings the head count for this episode to six. Yeah, six deaths in this episode. Uh, probably one of the more psychotic villains of the episode. The, yes, we've had a vampire and we've had like a demon, but just in terms of like somebody going just absolutely psychotic to murder somebody like the way they did, this episode takes the case so far. This is only episode 15 of 72 episodes. So we have a long ways to go to find out who else is a psychotic, crazy person. But as of right now... Helen takes the cake. And it is also the first one where they don't actually recover the cursed object. No, they don't. And I'm wondering if I, I can't remember correctly or not. Again, it's been a while since I've watched all of these. But, uh, and I, I actually haven't watched season three, I think, ever. I think it's seasons one and two and it, uh, that I, I, the only ones I've ever watched consecutively. If this compact ever comes back, it could, it might, who knows, but we'll keep an eye on it couple things I want yeah. to point out. Why isn't Ryan in that ambulance immediately? He's, like, hanging out someplace <laughs> else. Also, the skills of Jack and uh, Mickey trying to find them, or find where Helen... Sorry, Ryan and Mickey looking for Helen and Scott, it's like they go everywhere they're not, and then they're, like, two steps behind them. It's times like this where you realize that just having a cell phone would just make everything so much easier in these shows. Yeah, it just I thought it was just a little bit too, like... What? They were just... Are you telling me now they just missed him again? There's just too many coincidences. Yeah, and, and Magic Mirrors, I just want to touch on this before we move to the next episode, but Magic Mirrors throughout history have had um, kind of more of a divination, scrying, uh, information-seeking, you know, value. Not really so much enchanting. You know, they, therefore reflecting negativity back at someone, um, but not for drawing someone in. So the use of the way that the magic works in this compact is kind of deviates from the normal magician's magic mirror. Mm -hmm. There's a, like magic mirrors have been in since, I think they found the earliest one is 6000 BC, which was made out of an obsidian. But just having a black lined bowl filled with water was enough of a magic mirror to do anything that you wanted to do that a mirror could do. They're kind of uh, used for portals to other lands, uh, other dimensions, you could say. Speaking with dead relatives, uh, scrying, divination, uh, meaning like foretelling the future. And in Victorian times, uh, on ha Halloween, you could actually uh, look into a mirror at midnight with one candle. And if you looked in the mirror at midnight and you saw a person's face that was not your own, then that was going to be your true love. It was one of those Victorian love spells, but it's it's actually more divination. It's, you know, future-seeking, seeking an answer. 
Anna, like in Snow White, the magic mirror on the wall, it's seeking an answer, not really, you know, making anyone fall in love with you. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that, on the real magic behind mirrors. I do not own a compact, and I never have. I don't think I've ever given anyone a compact as a gift either. Mr. Zeneca, do you own a compact? I do. Uh, I own a mirror compact. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I own a little All the events compact. that you host, I'm assuming you did just to keep up, you know, with the uh, touch of the makeup yeah. here and there. Yeah, it, exactly. Touch of the makeup. I got it as a bridesmaid gift, and uh, I still use it. I take it with me when I wear makeup out. So, yeah, well, it's you useful. Work, you also work in uh, in your civilian identity. You work in marketing, too, so I'm assuming you have to make, like, public marketing appearances, right? I do. Occasionally, yes. Okay. Uh, there's conferences for marketing and uh, search engine optimization, which is the slice of marketing that I do at the moment. So, yeah, you know, networking, do you schmoozing. Think, do you think this episode is a uh, too early to uh, put it on the nose metaphor about how we feel about our appearances and the fact that it's reflected in both uh, Helen and her sister, her sister being the, you know, the pretty blonde girl and Helen being the tragically pimply-faced redhead? I think those types of tropes are eternal. Oh, is she a redhead what? or is she a brunette? brunette? She was brunette. Okay, brunette. I think that any time that you compare yourself to another person, you're really devaluing yourself. Hmm. So, you know, in um, the tarot deck that I use, there's a card uh, which is, you know, I don't use standard tarot, I use these archetype cards, and there's a card called the golden girl. Yep. And the look of the card is basically a blonde, beautiful woman and then a brunette that's kind of looking a little forlorn because she's comparing herself to the blonde versus looking at herself as she is because the brunette is beautiful on her own, but she's comparing herself to someone else and that will make someone miserable. So as a human trait, we, we end up trying to compare ourselves to other people when in fact the happiness that we seek is actually happiness with who we are. And once you get to that point, you no longer start to compare yourself to others. It's one of those Zen things you try to, to get to, to enhance your enlightenment of oneself. Definitely. We're going to take a little bit of a break, play some of the promos for other podcasts here, and we'll be right back with the episode Tattoo with Friday the 13th, the TV series here on the Dead TV Podcast. This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Hi, I'm Ali and this is Rob. Howdy. And we're the hosts of Horror Never Sleeps, a new weekly horror movie retrospective podcast. We will be reviewing your favourite scary movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween and Psycho. Also, we'll be covering classic gems like Maniac Cop, the Lost Boys. The Human Centipede. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, no. Oh, we'll see. First episode will be released mid-November. You can listen on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Until then, stay scared.
Ooh. Yeah, we won't be doing that. ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, uh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007, when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube Podcasting Network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube Podcasting Network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytube.com. And we're back with the Dead TV podcast with the next episode of Friday the 13th, the series Tattoo. And Mr. Zeneca has the episode synopsis for us. To season 1, episode 16, Tattoo. Originally aired March 7th, 1988. A compulsive gambler discovers a way to increase his winnings, but the method proves to be deadly. Um. Now, this episode, I think I remember seeing it as a kid, and it really freaked me out. <laughs> I made the mistake of actually watching this episode again with my son, and he was really freaked out by it too. <laughs> because of the uh, the the tattoos coming to life. No, specifically the Russian roulette at the ending. Oh yeah, that uh, that would uh, definitely mess up a twelve-year-old. Yeah. I knew that the show wasn't going to show any gore, and it's pretty pretty tame. But uh, yeah, I, I I think I messed him up exactly the same way I was messed up. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> this episode also has uh, it's the first episode of March, by the way. Um, it's uh, it also happens to have the second or f- number one currently longest opening sequence before we get to the main characters of any of the episodes. The main characters don't show up until the eleven minute ten second mark. Yeah, and. and it- Pretty much all takes place in Chinatown. Tommy is our main character, Tommy Chen, and he is the gambler that has, if there, he had any luck, it was bad luck. Oh, yeah. So he, he watches as one of his fellow gamblers goes into, like, a basement, and he sees this woman tied up, and uh, he sees the, the tattooing, basically observes the whole process of a tattooing, the tattoo comes to life, kills the girl, then he just watches it, doesn't do a damn thing, and then goes back to the gambling table and sees this guy just winning. And he's like, huh, like, maybe I can do that. Now, the actor who plays um, uh, uh, Lum Chen, who is Tommy's uncle... Um, uh, grand- grandfather. Grandfather, excuse me. 
uh, is is uh, deceased. He died in 1991, but his career in Hollywood goes all the way back to 1934. He had had a long career, and uh, what? wasn't he also in Gremlins? You talking about the grandfather from Gremlins? Yes, he was. He was grandfather, Mr. Wing. Yes. Yes, that's where I recognized him from. A lot of things that he uh, most notably is known for is uh, playing Lee Chan in the Charlie Chan uh, movies. He was uh, the original Kato in the Green Hornet serials. Oh yeah, yeah. Before Bruce Lee, um, he was on. He was one of the voice actors in the Battle of the Planets uh, Gatchaman anime series. Mm-hmm. He was in Dragnet. Uh, he was Master Poe in Kung Fu. And Kung Fu: The Legend Continues. All right. Magnum PI, Alvin and the Chip. He was on 15 episodes of Alvin and the Chipmunks, but I don't just as various voices. Huh. All right. Yeah. So uh, he had quite a great career in Hollywood. Uh, also, on my, he was just throwing it out there. He was also on. Uh, of course, he was at Mr. Wing, of course, at Gremlins 2. He was also on Beauty and the Beast, the TV series, MacGyver, The Smurfs, and Night Court. Night Court. Oh man, I need to watch more of those. Yeah, he was on. Uh, I need to find this. I love the Night Court. He was on uh, Night Court for uh, two different episodes, uh, playing two different characters. Huh. All right. Oh, and he was also on the Golden Girls. Do you remember the Golden Girls? Yes. Who doesn't remember the Golden Girls? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember his role specifically on the Golden Girls, but no. Everyone knows the Golden Girls. But yeah, you're right about the thing about the. Uh, I, it, t- it took me a second to be like, I, where have I known this guy from? Oh yeah, that's right, Gremlins. Yeah, so like these are old-fashioned needles uh, for tattooing. Yeah. You know where you actually have to dip them in the ink and then apply it to the skin. A very slow, long process. The design that they uh, that you see throughout the entire uh, episode. They're like insects, and one, um, he tattoos, uh, Tommy actually tattoos a claw, which I think is supposed to be an either an eagle's claw or a serpent's claw, dragon's claw, something like that. You know, and as it came to life, it basically bursts out of the chest and strangles the guy. Yeah, which, by the way, the arachnids and the snake, the snake doesn't rip its way out of uh, one of the victims later on, and the two spiders that are drawn, the spiders do not form up out of the skin and leave a gaping hole, whereas the hand rips itself out of the chest and strangles one of the characters. I think that's because he didn't do a full figure. You know, it, it is a, a partial figure, so um, until it actually, you know, materializes, it has to be attached to something, uh, whereas the insects and the snake, they're full creatures. Like, the entire creature is is tattooed out, so it just kind of pops itself out of the the ink itself and leaves the skin smooth. The director of this episode, by the way, uh, Lyndon Chubbuck, Chubbuck, and I'm probably not saying it correctly, but uh, still working today, has a movie coming out with a really cool poster called Zed. They are loners, the losers, the outcast, and the only hope the town has for survival. And it has a bunch of people walking through flames with, like, red eyes. Uh, yeah. I don't know what that is, but it comes out in 2018, which is this year. But, uh... Television actor uh, has directed other episodes of Friday the 13th, uh, Tales of the Undead. He directed that episode, uh, as well as the upcoming episode Brain Dead, which we will get to. Also directed Werewolf the Series, a show I would love to cover on here. Uh, hmm. Only ran for one and a half one and a half seasons on uh, USA before it was canceled. 
um, Alienation, Swamp Thing, Baywatch, Thunder in Paradise, um, a lot of schlock, basically, he directed. Uh, and uh, a great Pamela Anderson movie called Naked Souls. <laughs> Probably a lot, with a lot of boob jiggling there, too. Probably, considering he also directed Baywatch, a lot of boob jiggling. A lot of big boob jiggling. All big, right. The, the writer of the episode, Dan DiStefano, uh, directed, uh, sorry, wrote... Uh, every episode of Beetlejuice, the animated series, as well as episodes of Alf and Mr. T, and Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> but good career in, uh, in in television writing, having been able to write that many episodes of Beetlejuice, the animated series. Yeah, yeah. Good work if you can get it. All right, so when Tommy actually takes these uh, tattoo needles, it is uh, Tommy's grandfather that calls the antique store and clues in Jack, Ryan, and Mickey that they have these tattoo needles and he just wants to, you know, give them back or sell them back. Yeah, by the way, this is the first person we've come across so far that has done that. Without any provocation, correct. Yes, without because being the enticed. Scarecrow is a, a mailer list. Yes, without being um, enticed by the object to want to uh, tattoo people. Yeah, uh, grandfather immediately recognizes the symbols on the box as being evil and dangerous, and and uh, so he's like, no, I don't want this in our house. I don't want this in our life. It's going to ruin you. And uh, Tommy knocks his grandfather to the ground. Like, what type of guy do you have to be to actually punch your grandfather in the head? Yeah, kind of a jerk-off mood just because he's in debt. Yeah, I mean, he's seriously in debt like seriously in debt it's not specified how much he owes but his loan shark is basically doubling the amount that he owes every 24 hours and with that type of interest i mean it'll keep someone on that verge of desperation robbing a bank or something like that in order to pay his debt mm. so w one thing i kind of want to note here is that the first victim that uh tommy tattoos in order to use the uh, the winning streak that he gets from it, uh, he finds at an opium den. Yeah, some poor woman who's just, like, doped up on opium. He just, like, rips her dress off and starts tattooing her stomach, and then she lets him do it. So either yeah. she's that high that she doesn't care, but it's just like, um, this is almost like raping somebody, right? It, definitely. You know, it's non-consensual, but she doesn't really... It doesn't, like, when you're on opium, it is a painkiller. You do get that kind of dreamy type of state. But I don't believe that people are so out of it that you could do anything to them and have them not complain about it. She just kind of saw him rip her clothes off, and, and she was just, uh, no, what, uh, uh, and didn't even utter anything, but had this look on her face like, what are you doing? And then just kind of settled in with it. As he's tattooing her, which would take a long time to do. The 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 girl, the opium girl, by the way, has a string of uh, films under her credit uh, dealing with being um, that type of character or getting nude, like Samurai Vi Vampire Bikers or Dinosaur Valley Girls. Huh. Yeah. Well, she was definitely smoking it wrong. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay, a little bit of an opium explainer here. In an opium pipe, there is the damper, which is the big thing at the very end, or not the very end, but it's the middle to the end. 
and you hold that over the flame uh, because the opium is this little donut-like shaped uh, bit of goo that's on the edge of the damper. The damper cools it off and then it allows you to, to breathe it in. Now they were holding it kind of uh, upward sideways and uh, no, they were holding it damper down and that is the incorrect position for uh, the actual heat of the fire to heat up the opium without actually burning the opium because you don't want to do that. So the damper collects excess morphine and so when uh, opium dens clean out their pipes they scrape that back into the mixture that they serve the next customers. That's why it keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger because the morphine is getting higher and higher with every single person that's coming into the den. But since they're smoking it with the damper down it's actually burning it and it's not going to be usable for the next customer. That was just a little point of opium smoking that I was like, you know, I should, probably should have done a little bit of research on that. This episode, you know, has a lot to do with, like, tattoos being the main focus of the of what's happening uh, for anyone getting killed, but almost has nothing to do with, like, the art of tattooing in any way. They're heavily more focused on the gam- the illegal Chinese gambling part. Um, there's no history about, like, the Chinese tattooing or anything like that. There's no history about um, tattoos in general. There's no people in this episode who have a lot of tattoos on them. Um, the tattoos happen in, like, the dirtiest, nastiest places that you should never get tattoos in. Uh, tattoos should be done in a sterile, clean environment with gloves and, and a lot of, like, you know, rubbing alcohol and stuff like that to clean the wounds. When I get it, when I, I have... Uh, you know, we get into like usually at the end, but I want to bring it up now. Like, you know, do mm-hmm. we have tattoos? Like we mentioned the compact earlier. I have I have eight tattoos on my arms, um, and my tattoos are all done in a very sterilized environment with a lot of, uh, you know, like a medical uh, uh, care done to it because of the fact it is an open wound. Now he's doing it on this guy in the back room. Like, here, let me let me do a tattoo for you in the back room. What the hell? Also, he's not bleeding? Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but even any type of tattoo, you have to break the skin, you're going to bleed. Okay? It's mm-hmm. what it is. You're breaking the skin. It didn't seem like they researched even how to do tattoos correctly. No, and and there's a lot of history with uh, Asian culture tattoos and their meanings. And even if you were um, in, like, the... the you know, lawn sharking gang type of industry, you would have tattoos because that would show the status that you are within the gang. So it was kind of a a missed opportunity for them because there's a significant history and meaning to any of these tattoos. Like a, t- a tattoo to anyone has meaning to that person, but Asian culture tattoos specifically have this overall meaning for the culture itself. And, um, you know, I won't relay anything because I don't think I could do it justice, but I would say that him just doing these, like, spiders and snakes, and these are not typical tattoos um, of the culture. The dragon's claw, not even close. Um, The tattoos I have seen have been beautiful, carefully done, intricate, takes, you know, many, many, many hours and many, many, many sittings to do like a full back piece or the full arm pieces and, and oh my god, they're just gorgeous. And that was just kind of missing throughout the entire episode. It's a shame. 
Yeah, I was really when I saw the episode's tattoo, I was really hoping for um, you know, emphasis on tattoos, but again, this had mostly to do with like the underground uh Chinatown uh the gambling industry. Gambling and yes, they go into some of the culture about China and that that's all well and good, but they don't go into anything else about it other than the stuff that has nothing to do with the title of the episode, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and I'm not saying every single one of the objects that they're always trying to uh, acquire would do that. Now, also, why the hell would you buy tattoo needles at an antique store? Ew! <laughs> well, I mean, these these old-fashioned tattoo needles are basically just rods of metal, so they can be sterilized. Oh, that's just disgusting. I mean, if you were buying them thinking that you were going to tattoo somebody with them before you found out what they can actually do and what you can gain from them, mm-hmm. why the hell would you buy them from an antique store unless you're a collector of antique tattoo instruments, maybe? Maybe that's what the collector yeah, uh, was doing. I, I mean, there's people that collect antique medical devices. It's the same type of, type of thing. You know, there's different ways to tattoo where you just have a needle and and a couple of sticks and you tap it with the stick and that, you know, the tap breaks the skin to, you know, transfer the ink. So I would say that there could have been a collector of vintage tattooing implements, you know, they could be sterilized, they could be used again, you know, just like any sort of antique medical device that's not, um, uh, you know, rusty or made out of plastic or something like that. Is it mentioned that the guy Tommy steals them from was the original uh, owner of the tattoos that he that who bought them from Uncle Lewis? The uh, victim number one, no, not victim number one, victim number two. Well, the guy who jumps. Yeah, okay, yeah, victim number. No, victim number one. The first. Well, okay, the second person. Yes, after the girl is killed from the scorpion. Yes. Yes, so he is the second victim. Um, by the way, when uh, Tommy stabs him and he goes home to wash his hands, that is a massive amount of blood on his hands. Yeah. After yeah. going home. Now, yes, directly from killing the guy to the sink, sure, but... Uh, I think Maybe he didn't it, want to wipe it on his clothes. Yeah, I just... That's a lot of blood in that sink. Yeah, and when, he, when his loan shark gives him his final... Uh, final game because no one is going to allow Tommy to play in the games anymore because they think he's a cheater now that he's won so many times. His loan shark gives him uh, an address and Tommy just kind of reads it and then tosses the paper on the floor. So grandfather picks it up, you know, and or like, why would you toss away an address? Mm. Wouldn't you want to keep that in your pocket just to re- reference when you get there? The, uh, I'm. I was kind of. I was kind of hoping like one of the characters would reveal that they have like a tattoo and go, "Oh yeah, I got it when I was in college. I was dumb and stupid." Uh, <laughs> oh is, yeah, if if Mickey has like a dolphin on yeah, her ankle or something, <laughs> she has like a tramp stamp, or or she makes yeah, or or something like you know Mickey or Ryan. And uh, again, it would be stereotypical for them to say Mickey got a, a tattoo on her ass once upon a time. And she can't show anybody. She's like, no, I'm not going to show you. Uh, you know, something like that. Um, or maybe Jack has a magical symbol on him at some point. That would make a lot more sense, that Jack it would was. have some type of symbol to protect him from getting infected by any of the cursed objects. Because, don't forget, they all retake possession of these objects. I don't remember if we have an episode coming up or not if one of the main characters gets enticed by a cursed object. Now, we've had... 
uh, Mickey possessed or hypnotized by the vampire, but mm-hmm. we have yet to see if any of the character, any of our main cast of three, have get seduced by one of the cursed objects. Well, Ryan does use the boxing gloves in Shadow Boxer. Um, but it's not like he was seduced by them. No. Um, he does kind of go overboard with it, you know, punching Jack, but it's, he wasn't seduced by it. It was almost like a set of circumstances that forced him to use it. True. Yeah. Uh, it, maybe uh, I was going somewhere that I almost lost my train of thought. Maybe if you're pure of heart and you say your prayers by the moonlight, then a wolf's plane, you know, that the whole thing from the werewolf. <laughs> But seriously, if you're pure of heart and you're a good person, you know what I mean? A lot of these people are not good people that when they get the cursed oh, no. objects. Um, yeah, remember the uh Even the, the comic book store, even the comic book creator um, has become bitter and angry and hateful and resentful because of what happened to his creation over over the over time. He started yeah. kind of innocent, but but there was all it, it, all that stuff was lying under the surface, you know, and finding out that Ferenc was getting like you know, a revival and he wasn't getting any money off of it caused mm-hmm. him to go over the dark side. Well, that, that wood chipper, you know, the owner of the wood chipper, the old guy, he was a kind man. He had no idea that his wood chipper was cursed. Correct. Yeah. So if you're a good person, I don't think the cursed object can affect you. I mean, it, they're all cursed by the devil. So the devil's going to prey on people who are evil anyway. I mean, if you're too much of a good person, you're not going to succumb to the temptations of the devil as easy. And, uh, you know, Tommy, in his desperation, ends up basically tying up his sister to tattoo her with the snake and to kill his sister so that he could not lose at this high-stakes game that his loan shark set up. Really, just a freaking... Oh, I, wanted, I wanted to kill him at that point in time. Like, you don't give up your family just to win a, a gambling debt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the episode, the actor who plays um, uh, Daniel uh, Mung Ling Swos. Oh God, I'm I'm gonna mispronounce his name, so I apologize. Mung Ling Su. It's T S U I. Would return in another episode of Friday the Thirteenth, the TV series. Um, and he's just a bit part actor who appears in many many things, including. Uh, Queer as Folk, and uh, recently on The Strain. Cool. And uh, finally, the the last killing of the show today, which is uh, death number four, is Tommy himself. Yes. He loses at the game of Russian Roulette. I found a great uh, uh, website called uh, LairofHorror.com, and they did... uh, I wouldn't call them so much reviews. They just kind of go over the basic stuff of the Friday the 13th, the TV series. But they do a, every episode a coroner's report. Uh, stung to death by a scorpion, knifed in the back, bit to death by a spider, strangled to death, shot in the head, playing Russian roulette. They really great great detail about how these individual characters die. I love it. Nice, yeah. Yeah, so last episode we had six. This episode we have five, uh, four. Object was recovered. Yeah, um, at the end of this whole show, coming up in April, we'll do a uh, complete count of uh, uh, how many people have died in the first season of Friday the 13th, the series, and see if it beats Jason's body count. Um, it probably does, because these are television series, there are 72 episodes of it, and Jason only appeared in 12 movies, uh, and 
technically 11 if you count like what's considered in continuity because 12 is the remake so the body count of friday the 13th the tv series will be higher than jason Voorhees in the movie series because it's the freaking devil <laughs> yeah and, and i think we've been averaging about four murders per episode correct um like for instance in the next episode and i just by the way i just sent you on skype a link to the website i'm talking about so it'll help us a little bit um thanks to this person uh who doesn't really have that much of a credit on their website yet uh for the episodes uh how many how many people have been killed per episode so just in case we do lose a count or whatever we can go back with our calculators and start adding them all up at the very end come uh the end of march when we finish season one um yeah and we'll be glad to share that URL on our uh, Facebook page with our followers. Yes, uh, Layer of Hi- Layer of Horror Tripod. Uh, there, Friday the Thirteenth little link. I uh, don't see a lot of updates for the site, so it might have been uh, quite a while since they've done something. But it was really nice to find this on the uh, uh, IMDb page for this episode. If you scroll to the bottom under Goofs, they point out that Jack says that this snake about to bite uh, the sister is de- deadly. Uh, it's a highly poisonous coral snake. However, it's blatantly obvious the snake is a scarlet king snake, which is non-venomous. <laughs> nice. So they clearly went to the pet store, bought whatever snake they could find, and brought it over and stuck it on her, uh, regardless of whether or not it would be actually poisonous. Well, I mean, I would hope that it would not be poisonous simply because I wouldn't want the actress to be in danger. No, but there's way, I mean, that, that's what you hire a snake wrangler for to monitor that sort that's of thing. That's true. Also, there that's are ways true. of uh, they, they I, I, I mean, if they can take a tarantula and depoison it, there's a way to do that with a snake too, right? It's like you remove the fangs or something? Uh, you milk the snake. Basically, you uh, put the head into um, you know, a, uh, with a cup that has a membrane on the top of it, you formulate the head so that the fangs are sticking out, you press the head uh, into the membrane, it pierces the membrane so the venom is going into the cup, and then you kind of give it a little squeeze and the uh, venom will come out of the fangs, and basically you're draining the venom sac. Um, you know, it's called milking a venomous snake. Okay. Well, that's pretty much it for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast, covering these two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. Uh, You can find us on our Facebook page at the Dead TV Podcast, and all our episodes and prior episodes can be found on RadioHorror.com. Don't forget, we also can be found on our Twitter pages at ChrisDSAV. And at ElegantlyKinky. And also, if you'd like to help the Dead TV Podcast in any way, if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dead TV Podcast, you can send us an email at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Let us know about your business or what you'd like to advertise, and we'll make sure we stick it in an episode uh, along with our other sponsor, Wicked Chronic, located in Natick, Massachusetts. And we also have a Patreon page that you can go to and make a donation to, and we do have some great prizes to give away for that. Thank you, Mr. Zeneca, for joining me. Um, thank you, Dr. Chris, once and, again. And everyone, please stay warm as uh, we are. I am based in New England. Mr. Zeneca is in Pennsylvania. And we've had a pretty good cold front uh, come back to us here in the East Coast. I don't know about you, Mr. Zeneca, so hopefully you're warm in Pennsylvania. It's colder than Witch's Tit, and I should know. Ah! <laughs> it takes a witch to know a witch's titty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.